Father, we thank you for this time that we have to come together to study your word yet again, to look at another parable, uh, two parables, the parable of the hidden treasure and the, the parable of the, the pearl. And I just pray that you would give us uh, wisdom and understanding of what these parables means and how we can apply them to our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. And so again, turn to Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. And again, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys a field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. We have to yet again remember where we have been that we have looked at the sower and the seed, the different kinds of hearts uh, that are towards the gospel, uh, the hard heart, and so on. And then we looked at the parable of the weeds, talking about Satan and his kingdom, uh, how it, uh, what he does. And then we had the leaven, uh, um, the leaven, the parable of that, and how even in the midst of the parable of the weeds, right? The kingdom of heaven is going to continually grow. Now we get to this one, this parable, and this is talking about uh, who uh, and how uh, people come to the kingdom of heaven. And so when you're seeing this, again, it is the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in the field. It is the kingdom of heaven that is like the treasure, uh, not the man, some People would argue that the man is the person, uh, but I would argue that it says the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. And so when you're looking at that treasure or the pearl, you can see that as the treasure of salvation, of Christ, of the gospel, and the beauty therein. And so with that opening, we're going to get right into this, uh, and it. The first point I'd like to make is the one who surrenders. That is the one who surrenders to the gospel. Again, verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like the treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and covered up. This man, he finds it. It doesn't really say what this man was doing. We don't know if he was just going for a walk, if he was working in someone else's field. We do know that the field that he was in is not his own field. However it happens, uh, he happens to find this treasure. And so when he finds this treasure, he covers it up, and he goes to search to buy that treasure. And so this seems like a kind of strange thing for us today, like who in the world is just walking in a field and finds treasure? Uh, (laughs) It would be a very nice walk if you did that. The thing is, back in those times, it was actually a fairly common thing to happen. Uh, People actually would have understood that this is something that happens. you got to think, back in those days, there wasn't any banks or really anywhere nice to put your stuff that you had that was of value. Maybe in your house, but then maybe someone might break in and steal it. Your best option was to go out at night, 
dig up a hole somewhere in your field that you owned and hide your treasures. Then if you need to get your treasures again, you just simply go back to the spot, you dig it up, you get what you need, and you cover it up again. And so this was something that happened quite frequently. Actually, during times of war, people would go and hide their food, any objects, anything that was valuable on a regular basis just to make sure that they could have it when they need it. And so the fact that he's walking through a field or whatever he's doing and he finds this treasure isn't out of the ordinary. This is something that would have happened occasionally to people. You got to think. And in some cases, if someone, let's say, I go and bury some of my treasure in my yard, then who does that belong to? It doesn't really belong to anyone at that point in time. Maybe the person who buys my house and happens to find it the next time. So again, the main thing we know is that this field was not his field. And this kind of leads to what some people would say, an ethical problem. Because they'll say, well, is it right that he would do this? That he would cover up the treasure that's in someone else's field? And then go acquire that field for himself? And we have to remember a few things about this parable. First of all, it's not really about the ethics of what is happening within the parable. We have to look at the larger picture, and I'll get to that. And so we have to remember that this parable isn't specifically about the fact that he bought this treasure in the field. It's what that represents. The other thing is the owner didn't know that the treasure existed. We can just simply assume that he didn't know that because he sold his field. And if he was to sell his field, if I buried my treasure, I would (laughs) dig up my treasure before I sell it to the person. And so it obviously wasn't the owner's. And even in the rabbinic, uh, rabbinic law, it said, if a man finds scattered fruit or money, it belongs to the finder. And this is what it was talking about. If a man finds these things, these things that people have hidden and it belongs to no one, then it belongs to the person who found it. And so when you're looking at it, even from that perspective, he's not doing anything unethical by buying the land and then acquiring the treasure for himself. Actually, it shows that he was a very honest man, that he did buy the field. And dishonest man would just dig up the treasure and not even worrying about buying the field because who knows any different. So, when you're thinking about this man, the man who found treasure, there's really only a few, actually really one small difference between the two parables, the parable of the pearl and the parable of the hidden treasure. And the thing with the hidden treasure is that he finds it. It's almost by accident. Uh, he was just wandering around or whatever he was doing, and he happens upon the treasure. And in that moment in time, his life changes. When you're thinking about this spiritually, this is the same. This is exemplifying someone who has no concern for their spiritual life. The person who is just walking around this world saying, no, I'm good. Uh, Maybe they say, I don't believe there is even a God. There's no point in searching for a God. They're just going about their life, not really looking or caring about anything, not caring about where they go, where they die. And when you're looking at this for examples in scriptures, you can find quite a few examples. Actually, let's turn to one. You can go to John chapter 9. 
chapter 9, verse 1. And it says, uh, John chapter 9, verse 1, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, uh, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It is not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work uh, day and night. Uh, Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made uh, mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with, um, uh, with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam which means sent, so he went and washed and came back seeing. And so I like this, it perfectly illustrates it, because when you're looking at this story, what does the blind man say? What does the blind man do so far? Nothing, right? He's just there, and Jesus is using him as an example. He wasn't looking for anything in particular at that point in time. He wasn't, as far as we know, saying, where am I going to go when I die? He was just there. And Jesus came and found him. And so he exemplifies perfectly this idea of a man who finds treasure. He just wasn't looking for it. He was just walking. He was just digging. And he just found it. And then his life changed, much like the blind beggar whose life was changed forever. Right? We see that in verse 38. He said, he says, uh, he said, Lord, I believe and worshipped him. Uh, And Jesus said, so... Jesus basically asks him, who do you think the Messiah is? And he says, it's you. And so from that, he becomes a believer in Jesus Christ. Not looking for anything, Jesus sought him out. And that is the point of, or that is the first part and the first point of this parable, the hidden treasure. And that is where it differs from the, uh, the parable of the pearl. So let's look at that one real quick. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. And so, again, the big difference now is you don't have someone who's just walking around in a field. Um, You have a person who is in search of fine pearls. And so... uh, First of all, it's a merchant, right? This is someone who is well acquainted with what he is either buying or selling, specifically pearls, right? He knows pearls. He knows the value of pearls. And he knows he's looking for a valuable pearl. And he happens to find a valuable pearl. And this shows the person who maybe is religious, the person who knows that there is a God out there and in some form or another is searching for truth. And we know a lot of those people, and a lot of people find, try to find truth in a lot of different avenues. And we know that there's only one way, Jesus, who is the truth and the life. However, this is the person who is in search of that. Uh, again, religious and thinks there is a God, but doesn't know him. Uh, when I was thinking about this, again, I was thinking of a great example in Scripture, and I apologize to all the college and career Uh, young adults, because I mentioned this on Thursday, but if you go to Acts chapter 8, it's one of my, like, one of my favorite passages uh, in Scripture, and it's with Philip 
and the eunuch. And I just love this because Philip is kind of going along and he gets called to this eunuch and the eunuch is sitting there reading scripture and he's reading the passage from scripture that says, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before the shearers is silent. This is verse 33, Acts 8, chapter 33, or chapter 8, verse 33. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe the generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And so here is a man. He is in search. He is looking. He wants to know what truth is. And he is reading this. And Philip comes along. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and began with this scripture. And he told him the good news about Jesus. And so, here's two examples, right? The treasure, the person who wasn't really looking and yet finds Christ. And here's a person who was in search of Christ, and he finds him, right? I also love this in chapter, if you look at verse 39, this is my favorite. After he baptizes them, it says, And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. I just always picture, what if Bill was just baptized and then he gets done and he just gets carried away. It's just quite the scene in my head. So, so there you have the difference between both of those parables. And so you have the person, again, who was found the treasure as if by accident and another person who was in search of it and found the treasure. We have to remember at this point that ultimately God was searching in both cases. Uh, And as I was thinking, right, God's not idly sitting by waiting to be found. He is searching you out. And you can go to a lot of scriptures, but actually uh, Pastor Bill has been talking about this quite a bit uh, in Ephesians, right? That he chose us. Uh, You can come up with a lot of those kind of verses that speak to God coming after us. And so I won't speak on that really too much because it's been talked about. Uh, But there is a hymn that goes well with this. It says, I sought the Lord and afterward I knew. He moved my soul to seek him, seeking me. It was not I that found, O Savior, true. No, I was found of thee. And so just that realization that even though we think we are searching out, it is really God who is searching for us. And the last thing I have to mention before we move on to our next point uh, is that there is no pre prerequisite to coming to Christ. Uh, In both cases, right, they came to finding their treasure in different ways. Uh, And just like many of us, many of us, we are sinners before we come to Christ. That is the point. And so there's nothing we can do or say before coming to Christ that will get us to that point. It is all the work of Christ And so, that is the one who surrenders, both of these people. And we have to be careful not to say, well, these are the only two ways people come to Christ. It's either, um, you know, 
someone who isn't looking at all or someone who is intently looking. That's not really the point. Uh, The point is people come to Christ in different ways. And this is two, I would say, very encompassing ways that people come to Christ, but we can't say, oh, if you didn't come in this way, then you are not a believer. And so those are the ones who surrender uh, to the gospel, to salvation, to Christ. Now we must discuss why they surrendered. And the first point is it's a priceless treasure. Uh, specifically with the pearls, tre- uh, treasure is kind of speaking for itself. Who knows how big the treasure was? Obviously, it was a very big treasure. The man went and sold all that he has. You don't do that for a piece of bread. With the pearls, we can be a little more specific because pearls were something uh, that were highly prized uh, in those days. Pearls were dangerous to get. Uh, Many people would die trying to acquire pearls, and so naturally when you have those kind of things happening, plus the rarity of them, uh, pearls become a very expensive thing. And pearls were very convenient because you think about how small a pearl is. It's very easy to carry around a pearl than it is to carry around a huge brick of gold. Uh, With the pearl, people could sew it into their clothing, and no one would ever know it is there. And here they are traveling with this very expensive pearl. Um, So pearls were uh, very expensive. That's why you can see things like um, 1 Timothy 2.9, where he talks about uh, women not adorning themselves with um, uh, gold or pearls. You um, have the example of Jesus saying not to cast pearls before the swine. Uh, just that I, that contrast between what is very precious and what is not. Uh, and so, it's a priceless treasure for those people in those days. And when I was thinking about it, it's amazing what people will do for treasure, uh, various kinds of treasures. Turn to Job 28. Job 28, because he talks about this right here. Uh, treasure. And what is the most prized treasure? People are always in search for it. Job verse, uh, chapter 28, verse 1. Surely there is a mine for silver and a place for gold that they, can, they refine. Iron is t- taken out of the earth and copper is melted from the ore. Man puts an end to darkness and searches out the furthest limit. Uh, limit the ore and gloom and deep darkness. He opens the shafts in the valley away from where anyone lives. This is just talking about the extreme places people will go to acquire that which they think is precious. Uh, Whether it's gold, whether it's silver, whether it's ore, uh, whether it's sapphire, right? Verse 6, its stones are in the place of sapphires and it has dust of gold. And so he's just saying there are many places that people will go to acquire precious uh, materials in this world. And he says, and that's all to verse 11, as he is saying that, right? Verse 10, he cuts out channels in the rocks, and his eyes sees every precious thing. He dams up the stream so that they do not trickle, and the thing that is hidden, he brings out the light. And so he brings these things out, all these precious things that he wants. And I love verse 12. But where shall wisdom be found and where is the place of understanding? 
And so after all that searching, all this digging, where is it that we can find wisdom, the true precious thing in life? Verse 13, man does not know its worth, and it is hidden from the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me, and the sea says, it is not in me. It cannot be bought with gold, and silver can not be weighed as its price. And so all the earth, where is it? Is it in the deep? Is it in the sea? Can we buy it? No, you can't do any of that. And so verse 20, from where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? Again, we have to answer this question. And he says it is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. And so no matter where you go, it's hidden. You're not going to find it in this earth. But then verse 23, God understands the way to it and he knows its place. For he looks to the end of the earth and he sees everything under the heavens when he gave the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure. When he made the decree of rain and a way for the lightning and thunder, then he saw and declared it and established it and searched it out. Verse 28, this is important. And he said to man, specifically to man, behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. And so he tells us, the fear of the Lord is wisdom. Wisdom can't be found on earth. It can only be found through God. Ultimate wisdom, and also the ultimate greatest treasure for us, right, is Christ and the salvation that can be, that he made the way for us. That is the ultimate treasure for us. There is nothing in this world more valuable than being a child of God. And when I was thinking about it, many times we put everything else above being a child of God, about knowing God, about fearing the Lord. There was a story I read that says, uh, it was Robert Herbert Thompson. He owned 108 newspapers, controlled 290 other companies, and was personally worth more than $300 million. This was an older story. Well, he was asked, how much would you give to buy the New York Times paper, newspaper? And he said, to have replied, I'd mortgage my soul. Nothing would ever be enough for him. He was searching in all the wrong places. He was looking to acquire material wealth, and that will never satisfy. True wisdom comes from fearing the Lord. And as I was thinking about that, it sounds so like, you know, it's easy to beat up on him for saying, I'd mortgage my soul, but I think we say that a lot. We say, oh, what would you do for a house? Oh, I'd give anything for a house, or I'd give anything for a boat or a car or whatever it is that you want, maybe a personal relationship. I'd give anything to be married, Uh, really anything. See, we need to always keep Christ as the priority, as the ultimate treasure in life and nothing else. We need to see Christ as supremely worthy 
and what he did as inexpressibly valuable. Again, you can mine for many things in this world. You can find many things, but you won't be happy until you know Christ. And when you do that, you will have pure joy. I love this because in the going back to our parable, it says he finds it and he covered it up and then in his joy, his joy he goes and sells all that he has. He's joyful doing this. This is have you ever found something you really just happened to find and you're, it's like the coolest thing in the world to you at that point in time, even though it might be silly in the grand scheme of things, but it's a treasure to you, right? Maybe it's something that you used to have and you were digging through your old stuff and you find this little treasure to you and it's like the most joyous moment in your life. You're just like, I can't believe I found my baby clothes. I don't know. Uh, Just think of that times a million, right? Uh, He is just joyous. He is so joyous. All he can think about is, I want to acquire this treasure. I'm just going to go sell all I have and acquire it. That's how joyful he is. He is joyful and willing to do that. And that is the right response when we come to Christ. It's really the only response when we find Christ truly. is just pure joy and a willingness to give all. Uh, And our life should continue to be joyful. And I would look at some verses, but due to time, I won't. There is an initial excitement coming to Christ. And as believers, that that joy and excitement should continue on in our life. Uh, Your Christian walk with, your life, your walk with Christ should never be dull. It should be a joyous occasion. So you have the one who surrenders all, and then you have why they surrendered, because they see this as an infinitely valuable, precious treasure. And then they did, they surrendered all to that treasure. For us, it would be to the gospel, right? The connection between them, why I've combined them, is because both of them have the same response. They came to it in different ways, but the response is the same, right? The first one, then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has to buy the field. And then the second one, 46, who on finding the one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Both of them, they sold all of what they had. And again, this isn't just some of what they had or a little bit of what they had, or even a lot of what they had. It is every single thing that they had. All the things that they had, they went and sold so that they could acquire just the one precious thing that they wanted. And the thing is, what if they decided that was too much work? What if in finding the treasure, he sees it and he says, well... To acquire such a great treasure, I would have to go and sell everything I own. And to me, it's just not worth it. Or what about the person finding the pearl? He says the same thing. He's searching, searching. He finally finds that pearl that is worth it. And he says, eh, it's just too much of a price. I don't want to give up all those other things that I had for this pearl of value. 
And I was thinking about that because it's so sad because that's what happens spiritually. Whether people are not knowing and they happen to come across someone who tells them the gospel and they say, well, there's too great a price for that. Or someone's searching through all the different avenues and they come across the gospel and it's relayed to them and they say, well, there's too great a price. Now, we have to be careful because salvation isn't something that can be bought. And that's not what this uh, parable is articulating to us. Uh, it's not saying that you can go buy or sell all your stuff and buy salvation. Um, but it is saying there's a cost to it, which we forget. And sometimes we want to downplay the fact that it can't be bought, that it's free, and that's not a bad thing. But there is also a cost to salvation. When you think about this, you could think of the rich rich young ruler, which we won't look at. Uh, He's in both Matthew and Luke. Uh, And he is doing all the right things, right? And Jesus says, leave it all behind and follow me. And he walks away sad. Why? Because he couldn't pay the price. Jesus said, you're going to have to give up all of those things if you want to follow me. So do it now. And he says, I can't. Right? He was the person in search of that fine pearl. He had it in front of him. He was talking to Jesus. And he said, I can't pay that price. But it's not only there. Turn to Luke. I think it's important that we see this. Luke chapter 9. Verse 59. Luke 9, verse 59. And it says, to another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. What was his cost there? The guy was basically saying, look, I want my father to pass away so I can get his inheritance. Again, it's kind of a wealth thing. And he's saying, no, no, don't that cost. Don't worry about that. Just come and follow me. That was the cost at that point in time. Then again, continue reading on. He says, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me uh, first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back. Uh, Is it fit for the kingdom of God? And so he's saying again, no, no, don't worry about that. Look, you're in the presence of God. Worry about me. This is something that Paul clearly saw, and I know I'm having you turn to a lot of places, but go, please, with me to uh, Philippians, Philippians 3, ver- uh, chapter 3, verse 4. He articulates this very well. He says, Though I myself has a reason for confidence in the flesh, also if anyone else thinks he has reason for the confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Basically saying, I had it all. I was doing all the right things according to what I thought I was supposed to be doing, right? The Jews would have looked at him and he was something to be desired. 
You're saying, I had all that. And then you get to verse, uh, the next verse. This is verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. I count it all as lost. Again, some of it, it's all encompassing. All of it, I count all of it as loss compared to knowing the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And I love it because he just hits on this like again and again in this. Uh, For his sake I have suffered loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Right? He just counts it all as rubbish. All of it as loss. He surrendered all to the gospel. And that continues on in his life, right? This isn't just a momentary time where he says, I'll just focus on Christ at this point in time. It continues, and we see that in verse 13, right? Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. And then again, this is the, I press on towards the goal for the high prize of the upper call uh, in Christ Jesus. That is the Olympians' model, right? Uh, but forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to Christ, that is what matters. This is the true cost, to give all you have to Christ. And I could go to a lot more passages, but we won't. i got to finish up. There is a determination to acquire the treasure in both of the parables. And there should be a determination in our lives as well. I always love it because people are like, well, God doesn't really want me to give up all these things, does he? As somehow like those things are making them happy. Like, what if I don't have this? Then what am I going to do? What if I don't have this? And the thing is, are those things above God? then maybe you should get rid of them. If you need those things to make you happy, then yes, get rid of it. Don't let it sit in the place where God should reside. The point is only God should be that. Only in God can you have wisdom. So, again, you must give up. And there's a lot of things you have to give up. Your prejudices, that you don't know how to please God on your own, your self-righteousness, that there's no way to God on your own, and your sin, right? You have to give up your sin and come to Christ. Often that is the thing that we cling to closest to. And as I was thinking about this, are all those things too hard, too much a price to give up? Is there something in your life that you say, I just can't give that up no matter what? I just can't. Right? Your house, your wealth, your family, do you place those above God? It always sounds a little bit harsh, but I remember always telling Amy that I love you a lot, but I don't love you above God. You come second in my life compared to God.
If you find something in your life that you can't give up, you are not the person in this parable, nor a man of Christ. And that sounds harsh, but the point is to turn away from those things. You become a new man, completely new. All the old has passed away. And now you seek Christ. Does that mean we struggle? Yes, we all know we struggle. But our goal remains the same. It's Christ. So we need to give all to God. It's, again, that's why I entitled this sermon, an all-encompassing surrender, because that's what we need to do. If you truly find Christ, you will be willing to give all that you have for him, even your life. doesn't mean that we have to go and sell everything we have. It just means that we need to make sure that everything we have isn't above Christ. Think about your most valuable possessions right now. And imagine Christ, because he said this to the rich young ruler, to the other people that we pointed out. And he says, no, leave that behind. Pick up your cross and follow me. Because that is what he said. So now, again, the treasure is before you. The pearl is before you. The question is, are you going to leave everything you have and follow Christ? With that, let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we uh, thank you for this time that we have to uh, look at this passage, this wonderful passage of an all-encompassing surrender that the pray that as we go out, we would have joy uh, that we uh, either found that treasure or if we haven't, that we would uh, dig deep and look into your truths and find that treasure uh, and we walk away uh, knowing true wisdom, fearing you, loving you, and serving you all our days. And I just pray that we would constantly uh, keep forgetting what lies behind and straining forward for the prize. Uh, And that is you, in Jesus' name, amen.